Welcome to Pod of Madness, a horror comedy show that proves life is mad. Case in point, my 30th birthday, which is today. And if that's not horrific or mad, I don't know what is. Eh. I know I'm a little mad, not angry mad, but kooky. I have been since I was a kid. See, I already assumed you knew me. It's an only child thing. I'm your host, Jordan Gospore. I'm a podcast producer, investigative journalist, Leo, and of course, horror fan. On this first episode of Pod of Madness, I talk with, sometimes at, Rusty Cundiff, director and co-writer of one of my favorite movies, Tales from the Hood. Without further ado, here's Rusty. So what I wanted to just kick off the conversation with, with a little bit of the backstory of how Tales from the Hood, the inception, and sort of painting us a little picture of what was going on in the country at the time for those who might have been children or not born yet. Because I imagine that some of that played into, I could be wrong, but I imagine that yeah, some no, of that played it, into your script. I actually have to remind myself of what it was. Hang on, let me do this. Let me, let me, 25 let me, years is a long time, I know. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I'm trying to remember the politician's name because one of the things that was happening, the episode with Corbin Bernstein with the dolls. Yeah, what is it, KKK comeuppance? Isn't that yeah. what it's called? Okay. Yeah, the idea for that came from, uh, who was it that was running that political ad back then. I mean, it's based on a real political ad and I just can't remember the candidate, but he had this whole thing where he was writing on a thing and he crumpled up something because he didn't get accepted into a school or a job or something like that. I can't remember because he said it was because of affirmative action. I mean, and to me, and that was the scariest vignette because I don't like dolls that come to life. That's actually one of the few things that really scares me to this day. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was an ad, and we pretty much mocked the entire thing in that episode, where it's like down, you see that hand come down and crumple the thing up, and... That was one of the things that was going on. And of course, everything else was just kind of what it was and what it still is in an odd, weird way. You know, the, the police stuff and their dealings with the black community that was, I guess, as current then as it is now, sadly. You know, my interest in the story about the kind of child and domestic violence that's just something that's like carried with me from my childhood. Not that there was any of that in my house, but there was a family down the street from me that I used to play with one of their kids uh, from time to time. And I remember going over to his house one day and his younger sister, I think there were three of them, an older one, him, and then his younger sister. She caught like all the hell in the house that she was like blamed for everything. She couldn't have been more than 
eight, nine years old uh, when I kind of remembered this moment. But I went over his house to play and uh, back east, everyone has basements. I don't know if you guys have them in Texas. I don't think you do. Have a lot of it depends, but not the same thing because you're from Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. 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 So almost all houses back there have basements and the older houses, the basements you go down and it's literally like a dirt floor down there. Some, sometimes there's, you know, they've filled it in with some concrete, but a lot of the homes have these dirt floors. And anyhow, so yeah, we were going down into his basement and at the top of the stairs, his younger sister was gagged and hogtied and facing a wall. And I'm like, what? And I was, yeah, serious. And I was probably, how old was I then? I was in grade school, which now would probably be called middle school. Uh, so maybe somewhere between fifth to sixth grade, somewhere in there, something like that. I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, she did, she did something bad. She's being punished. And I knew even then that that was like insanity. And I remember talking to my father about it. And my father was a detective in the juvenile division of the Pittsburgh police force, but he was juvenile. And anyhow, so I tell him that I saw this and, you know, should we do something? Should you call someone? And we were the black family that had moved into this neighborhood a few families left after we moved in or a few kids that I couldn't play with. And, you know, it, it was just a lesson in learning how um, those moments when you realize that your parents either are not perfect or they're not superheroes. They can't do everything. And so my dad's, you know, I tell him this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, we got to do something. Go down there. They, something happens, happens. And he said, I can't mess with those white people. Oh my and gosh. he's probably right. He's yeah. probably right. He just felt that even with his badge and his position, he wasn't in a position to, to deal with them. I've always had an interest kind of in, I don't know if it was because of that moment, but child abuse, domestic violence has always kind of had some weird place in my head. Is that why you're in that segment too? Miss Johnson, I came to talk to you about your boy Walter because he seems to be having some problems. Problems? Um, yeah, perhaps because you just recently changed schools. What kind of problems? I mean, all kids have problems, don't they? It's what life is. Problems. He got you good. Here, step into the light for me. Um, well, he seems to come to school with a lot of bruises, you know. Which didn't hit me until someone sent me an article, and I was like, "Wait, he's Rusty's in. Rusty's the teacher." I can't. I can't say that that's why I'm in the segment. Actually, I don't. That I can't say that I'm in the segment because of that. I think it just turned out that way. But it is something that you know just had a really big impact on me at the time, uh, for you know, for all those different reasons the idea to actually do Tales from the Hood kind of came from, I had written a one-act play that got performed a few times out here in Los Angeles called for the Black Horror Show, Blackanthropy, which, you know, lycanthropy was a disease of being a werewolf, and this was a disease of being black. And it was a one-act kind of, it was a funny 
piece where a guy was, instead of turning into a werewolf, he was turning into a panther, but a militant black panther. And he was a, a very conservative black guy, and he was trying to deal with these issues that he had. So I had written that, and we performed that a few times. And then uh, Darren Scott, who co-wrote with me and produced, he's a horror geek. I don't consider myself a horror geek like he's a horror geek. I like horror, and I'm geeky in different ways. Uh, so no, no shade on geekdom. But... I just don't consider myself exactly a, a horror geek. I don't know. I'm some kind of a, I'm just a geek of sorts. Uh, but he's like, it was insanely into you know, horror and stuff like that. And I liked certain aspects of it. So he was like, we should do a horror film or, you know, and he, he wanted, I can't remember exactly where he, how he was going into it. And I said, well, if I had to do a horror film, it has to deal with some kind of issues. I'm not really interested in doing horror just for the sake of horror. Yeah, that's, you know, kind of how Tales kind of came about, you know, it was first kind of looking at this play, and he wanted to do this horror thing, and we said, okay, we're going to write it together, but it has to be about something, it can't just be, we're scaring you, so yeah. which is fine, I like those movies, but for me to get invested in something, it has to, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, because to me, like, looking back, like, the the movie is comedic but if, for me personally the comedy stems from just like how ridiculous the issues are like like it's not necessarily they're they're saying jokes to me i was laughing at like oh shit like this is just so stupid this is just like a, this is um like it, it's satire it's just ridiculous what's going on yeah i mean it's interesting because some people go it's yeah it's a really funny movie and i, I you know never look at it <laughs> I mean, I know there's funny stuff in it. Corbin Burnson's section is very funny. You. Where the fuck did your little black ass come from? Huh? You think you and some old voodoo bitch could scare me out of my house? I don't care how many slaves died here. You get no reparations. You hear me? No reparations! But the first section uh, with the cops and uh, Tom Wright, who plays the politician, I don't consider that one, you know, he comes back as a zombie. Zombies are funny to me. But this, the context of what's happening, I mean, you know, there's nothing there that's really funny. Wings Hauser, who plays one of the cops, was so good in his role that a lot of the cast really didn't like him. They actually, they said, he really believes all that stuff. He's really a racist asshole. Like, yeah, I hate him. You know, like, he's an actor. If he really felt all those things, this is not the job that he would take. I don't no. know. Uh, Wings is a very nice guy, extremely concerned with social issues. And, uh, you know, in Corbin's character, who does have, you know, does bring a lot of humor to the way that role was played with the dolls and stuff. You know, it was interesting. Years later, I ran into him and he was, he was thanking me for, he said, oh, yeah, thank you. And I said, for what? And he said, oh, I have this huge black following. Uh, and I was like, are you kidding me? That's what I and, would say, what? <laughs> yeah, 
but the and the thing was it, there's a lesson of course to be learned which is if you're funny people accept things or deal with things in a different way and so they looked at that character through a different lens. I mean, I think they realized that he was a, you know, the character was a racist character. He deserved what happened to him. But at the same time, he got all these fans that are like, oh, I love you, the thing, blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah. we have a character uh, in Tales from the Hood 3 that's pretty outrageous. And I'll be interested to see how people react to him. Is it loosely based on Trump? I can imagine something's gonna happen, right, in the third one? We have a character that would definitely be a Trump acolyte and, and, and a Trump rah-rah. Uh, the studio was, in two and in this one, very against us making any references to Trump. In fact, I wanted to have a poster with a red tie, and they're like, you can't have a poster with a red tie. It was kind of ridiculous in a lot of ways. I don't know if Trump has a lot of uh, stock in NBC Universal, but uh, that's interesting. Because <laughs> you know, I mean, like the some of the the latest Purge entries are very much like the poster of that uh, the first Purge or whatever had the hat that was like Make America. Like it was right. very overtly a Trump reference. And so yeah. yeah, that's weird that a studio would be not. not yeah, I, I don't know if it's because you know I don't, I don't know yeah. I, I have no idea. I mean, it's it, to me it was like a very ridiculous thing. We did have uh, an executive uh, uh, that we were dealing with on the second one that was a Republican, and she got upset that uh, one of the episodes I, I had a character who said that you know. He was going to leave. It was an Emmett, dealing with the Emmett Till story. Yeah. Emmett Till comes back as a ghost. And the guy says he's going to leave the Republican Party. And she wanted us to take that out. And I was, I just, I'm, no. I'm not, I'm not, it's ridiculous. I mean, and by the other executive, like, you made her cry. I'm like, she should cry. The party is, her party is ridiculous. She should, she should cry. Yes. And I don't think all Republicans are evil, by the way. But if you're still supporting Trump, you're a fucking moron. I've had many a conversation with my family and my mother, too, who is a Republican, about all of this. Yes. Oh, you know. I'm sure. It's got to be tough. <laughs> it's interesting. I'll, I'll say that. Well, like, one of the things, too, from the original movie that I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because, like I said, I'm scared of dolls that come to life. Um, and you said Corbin had, you know, as having a black following. That it seems like that's the story that seems to be the one people remember the most. And I remember in college we had this like hippy dippy smoke shop in my small town, college town, and they had one of the dolls sitting up from Tales from the. No, no joke. I pointed out I was buying cigarettes, and I was like, wait, is that doll from Tales from the Hood? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, I'm pretty certain. That's the main doll from the story. No idea where they would have gotten that. That's, I was just going to ask you, like, the merchandising. like, wait, There's never right. been any merchandising. People where did ask they get me these, about dolls? these dolls? Uh, yeah, people ask me about these dolls all the time. Now, there was a woman who was crafting on her own. I don't think it had anything to do with Tales from the Hood. These kind of, these dolls that felt very chiseled and carved. And 
some of those looked like they could have been Tales from the Hood dolls, but I don't believe that they were. So he might have had one of those. The actual Tales dolls, I mean, there weren't that many of them made. I have one. Darren has one. <laughs> I'm sure a couple other people. The Kyoto brothers who were the puppeteers for the dolls, I'm sure they, they still have one. Mine is hanging in there because they were made, you know, to be able to kind of bend and move. Yeah. So they're rubber with armature underneath and, you know, a little, a little fragile. Uh, but every now and then I, I pull him out. But he's not here. If he was in here, I'd have to go into the house and get him. But there's a few of them out there, but not a lot. Not a lot. I, and, and that doesn't mean that one did not end up somehow in a smoke shop in Texas. So that would just be so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder yeah, what happened to it. That smoke shop has since closed. Like when I was in college, like it had been around since the seventies and then closed when I was in college, like my last year or two. And so I wonder what happened to it. Yeah, it looked exactly like the main doll from that segment. Well, you know, could, it, could, it could be, or you know, maybe, maybe those dolls are just getting around. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's what's up. But yeah, no, the, the dolls have a lot of people remember the dolls thing and it, it probably is uh one of the more memorable episodes of the first tales i like it because it has my dad and mom in oh it does oh nice yeah. so my dad is the the preacher when they're burying uh uh what's his name his name in the movie is what was it the uh, communications director guy yeah and i'm trying to remember down. Yeah, the actor's name is Robert Guinevere Smith. I'm just trying to remember the character's name. But anyhow, yeah. So my dad was the uh, at the gravesite doing the doing the eulogy or whatever. And my mom is the voodoo woman. She's the one in the rocking chair. That is hilarious. Yeah. What, yeah. Was that your decision or was that? Oh theirs? yeah, no. I I I you know I'm like I'm gonna put my parents in. My dad was always trying to. He was like a ham in a weird kind of way. I didn't even understand it when I was a kid because I didn't think he was funny or hammy at all. But I was like, oh, he likes pontificating about stuff. So he showed up with like, he had written a sermon. I'm like, you can't say all this. All you got to do is say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But he had like three pages. And then, of course, when I called action, he like got all nervous. And <laughs> it was kind of funny. And then my mom who's the opposite of my dad. Like if my, my dad's an extrovert. My mom was an introvert, but she was great. She had no problems. She was just, yeah, I wish she didn't have any lines, but I told her like, you know, look mad. Like, you know, when you were angry at me or something like that. She was you know? scary. I thought that yeah, was no, she scary. Was, she was actually pretty scary. I was surprised that she worked out great. And the funny thing uh, to me anyhow, was that she was a, um, she uh, taught arts and crafts at this after-school program that happened, you know, in the neighborhood that, that we lived in. But she taught arts and crafts to these young kids. And after the movie came out, it was like for years, all the kids were kind of afraid of her. I mean, she was nice, so they knew she was nice. But at the same time, they were like, she's going to stalls after you. <laughs> so she didn't have a lot of problems with any of her kids after, definitely after the movie came out. I love that. And one of the other, yeah. I think, memorable scenes that we've talked about just on the phone was the scene where David Allen Greer just turns into a soup kind of monster in the other story that we had talked about, the, the domestic abuse. That I remember yeah. distinctly. 
where my mom actually was like, oh, this actually might be a movie not for children. Oh. <laughs> and, and did she say that when he was dying or when he was beating? Uh, oh, when he was dying. When he was dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, you know, domestic abuse, cool. Children can watch that. But when he yeah, turns that's... into, <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's the that that's why I was asking. I was like, we're Americans are very okay with certain types of violence and have different issues with sexuality and paranormal things. So that makes sense, actually. But uh, yeah, no, David Allen Greer was, you know, I had known I'd come from stand up comedy originally. So I knew David as a comedian, but I also knew that he was a classically trained actor. I didn't know and, that. I used yeah, to watch in Living Color, so that's how I know him. Uh, birds flying over a woman with, with, with big breasts. <laughs> and that's what most people knew him from. But he's this amazing, as you can see in the thing, uh, an amazing actor. So when we were auditioning actors for this, we didn't audition David, by the way. I just cast him. But different people did come in. And... They were all too obvious. You know, I don't know if you know who Tiny Lister is. No. If you ever saw Fridays, yes. he's the crazy guy. <sighs> That's Tiny. What's up, Red? Thanks for the bike. But you got my 40, homie. I thought you had $200. I do. But I want to spend Red's money. I'm broke. That wouldn't yeah, work. Yeah, no, we had people like that. I'm like, you know, there's no doubt who this guy is. If, you know, he comes in. You know, like, <laughs> I'm imagining that in the scene, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of an obvious thing, you know. So David was, he was a good choice, one, because I knew he was a good actor. He could do the role. But two, because of his three of being, you know, a funny guy. I just, like, I'm like, okay, people aren't going to see it coming quite as much. And he just, he just did a great job. Yeah, he, he was great. scary too. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was really scary. I mean, he was, casting him was just a, a really, a really good move. He did a great job. Clarence is a really good cast. Um, he, he is very yeah. memorable to me. I, talking about like the mixture of comedy and seriousness, I think that he, uh, that he was very, very good. He was amazing. I had no idea what we had gotten when we cast it. You know, I'd always liked him. You're too young to probably have watched it. But, you know, when I was young, I watched The Mod Squad, which he was on with yeah. Peggy Lipton, who ended up married to Quincy Jones at one point. And I forget the other guy. But it was, you know, him. He was like one of the first black TV stars that, was kind of an action hero-y kind of guy because it, it was a, the Mod Squad was about three young people who were on the bad side that the cops get to work with them on the good side. But, you know, they're wearing bell bottoms and he had a big afro and they have, you know, kerchiefs. Well, he didn't have one, but the white guy had a kerchief around. <laughs> of course. Hey, Paul, I changed my mind. What? I can't give you that lift. Oh, what is this? Be kind of pre sweet? No. It's just that I'd like to get to know John Banks better. All right. Come on, let's go. 
anyhow, so I, you know, I knew him really from that and then from a few other things he had done, but mainly from that. But, you know, he's another guy that came up in the theater in New York, just a really super professional actor and person on set. And he took this, this role really seriously. And he just brought so much to it. And, and there was a point where when we started doing this, it was right at the beginning of nonlinear editing with Avid Systems and stuff yeah. like that. In fact, it was so new that the first editor we had, uh, we had to let go because he didn't understand mm -hmm. the, the equipment. He was an old school guy and he was trying to get it. So we got somebody else to kind of knew it a little bit. So we had shot Clarence's big final, welcome to hell, motherfucking the horns. Whole thing. Yeah, the horns and all. Well, my well, we shot the horns too, but we, you know, the first part where he's just like, "This ain't no funeral home. This ain't no all that." Stuff. And his crazy eyes. And it's the crazy brilliant. eyes. And we uh, we were showing it to um, some of the executives that came to the set because we actually had the avid in a room just off uh, this warehouse that we were shooting. You know, we had built the funeral home in, and we built. Duke Metzger's uh, Southern Mansion. We were editing just off because we were like, oh, with Avid, we can see our dailies right away. So a couple of studio executives came down to see what was going on. And so we showed them the scene, you know, with Clarence doing his thing. And they're watching it and they're going, oh my, oh wow, he's already morphing. Is it, when did you get the chance to make him more? And we're like, he's not, he wasn't morphing. It was just Clarence, just acting the hell out of the scene. Sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah. All I can say. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was very lucky that, uh, yeah, that Clarence was involved. Yeah, he yeah. gave me nightmares too. One of the things I thought was funny that you had said in our previous phone call, when I told you, you know, that I saw the movie at such a young age, you were saying that, you know, you have children and that you didn't allow some of your children to see Tales from the Hood until they were slightly older. I really liked that story oh, yeah. that you said. But you have, oh. how many children do you have? I have three? I have three, 20, 16, and 11. Yeah, and yeah, so the, the 20 year old, how old was he when he saw it? I mean, he might have been close to a teenager or a teenager, I, I can't even recall. And uh, my daughter, the middle child, she was a little bit younger. And the youngest child, he saw it the youngest. He probably saw it when he was, if he was 11 now, maybe, maybe he was eight. You're not the first person that has told me they saw tales at like a ridiculously, in my opinion, young age. And I'm like, oh, your parents, what were they? thinking but you know i kind of get it it's weird because you know when you look back at older movies like for example i i was going to have my kids watch was it the goonies it was something like that it might have been the goonies it might have been it was it was something like that it was a pg movie made in the 70s i think 
So PG in the 70s, they're like, fuck, dick, pussy, can like The good old days. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yes. and, and so it, it's, it's like our tolerance for scatological kind of crazy stuff, even though it's weird because it's what I grew up on. But yeah. it seems like as the people who grow up on it are the people that are like, don't don't look at this he's terrible hypocrites yeah pretty much <laughs> pretty much yeah i i mean you know and it's so like the other day what did i watch i watched uh book smart again and, and i'm like okay so this was this is a, i think it's book smart's an r i'm like it easily would have been a pg so i don't know we've gotten very precious with our children i mean not just in movies but you know they when you read child psychologists and stuff, they're always talking about how kids are so sheltered now yes. where you used to just go, okay, go out, go out and play, go out and do, and yeah, go out in the world. And now, yeah. you know, it's play dates and, you know, I got to look the parents up online and see, are they decent people? It's, you know. I know, uh, it's my, a whole thing. My parents didn't know half of the people that I played with parents. Yeah. And I was at their house. And now that said, you could also end up at the house with the kid who's gagged and hogtied, which I did. And, you know, and there were other times where you're like, this is not a great family. You know, you yeah. go, this is not. I'm not coming back here. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be here or, you know. Uh, so I guess there's some value to it, but it is probably, we're probably very overprotective. This has nothing to do with me. I'm curious what your kids thought of Tales from the Hood. They liked it. I mean, it, it was, it was, you're their dad though, right? Like, what are they going to say? Dad, Scooby Snacks? Yeah, no, no. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty honest with me, actually. Because, you know, sometimes when I'm coming up with a story, I'll pitch them. And I'll say, what do you guys think about this? And, yeah, they're pretty, they can be frustratingly honest. They, if they don't like something or they think it's not working. And in fact, on Tales 2, I wish I had listened to my son because we we did the title sequence for it. It was kind of a last minute thing. And uh, we just were like, okay, whatever. We're going to have these digital skeletons dancing around. And he looked at it and he was like, meh. <laughs> we're like, no, we think it's cool. He's like, nah. And, you know, we, you got a lot of flack. we got a lot of flack for that opening from different people. Like, this is shitty and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, listen to my son. They're actually pretty honest. So, yeah, they, they definitely like the, the first one. They enjoy it. So, um, what, what do they have to say about the third one? Like, well, actually, because we, we got so nervous about the opening on the, because of the reaction to the second one, there is no opening in this one. It's all tail credits but we had a tail credit sequence done that my kids looked at and they really liked it. it it's actually really good and if i had known it was going to be that good you know put it at the beginning but it's not that it's at it's the at the end okay yeah it's, it's all in credits now so this, now the you know the story just you just go right into the story and we got Tony Todd in the story this time. So oh, really? You got Tony? Okay, I love Tony. Yeah, Tony's cool. So you'll, you'll see him. Are we going to be okay? Are the bad things still here? I don't think so. Look! Is that them? Are they the bad things? I can't see them. 
You know, the bad things, they, they know how to hide. They know how to make themselves look normal. Evil has a way of looking really nice and shiny on the outside, on the surface, when it has to. That's why we're going to go that way. But yeah, yeah. So that and, and the youngest one, he he actually liked it. The oldest one, none of my kids. It's odd. None of my kids are like really. Well, the older two are not so much into horror. The younger one likes scary stuff, but the older two don't like to be scared. Yeah. And they have a dad who makes horror movies. Yes, I yeah, love that. Yeah, you know. Well, what are you gonna? Yeah. For the for the third movie, what is the the title? Is it just Tales from the Hood three, or what is the the title right now? The, what the hell did we call it? We had we had Tales. It was Tales from the Hood. Uh, like Tales from the Hood colon something. Yeah, it's like Tales Tales from the Hood. What is, I, I gotta look it up. I came up with it, and I can't remember. We finished editing it. A, probably maybe. A, month and a half a couple of months ago and then we've been just working on um we had been working on special effects and adr and all of that kind of stuff and we just finished that maybe two weeks ago i want to say yeah and so all tales from the hood has left my brain <laughs> um, I'm I'm very similar though too especially when you spend like months on something like i don't even want to talk i don't even want to think about about it, like it's done. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, we're out of there. Done, done. But uh, what did they tell me? It, it, uh, Tales from the But I can tell you this: it'll be in Target. Is it Target or Walmart or something? What did they tell me? On October, October is six. Oh, is it just going straight to DVD? Oh yeah, yeah. It's getting, well, you know, it's also going to be it'll stream someplace, and then it's going to be on Sci-Fi Channel. I don't even involve myself in the in that part of it because it's just it's annoying and painful. Like when they go, oh, I cut this out here, take this out. Oh, so they don't they don't come to you, or you don't want to be involved? Like they're like, hey, they just they just cut whatever they they need to cut. It's like I made the movie I wanted to make over here. So with the first Tales from the Hood, then was the the film that was released was that what you wanted to see then, or did they cut a bunch of stuff out from the original? The film. Pretty much what I wanted. There was stuff that we were forced to do to get our R, which I think is kind of ridiculous when I see some of the things that get R's yeah. that are, in my opinion, as worse. For example, in that movie, the scene where uh, David Allen Greer is first beating while he's beats her and he whips her with a belt goes on. The initial cut went on longer. I don't know. I can't remember how much longer, but. It was painful. And they're like, well, this, you know, this is going on too long. And I'm like, yeah, it really, it really should have kept going on the way it was because, and I remember this from one of our test screens when it was the way I wanted it to be. We had a lot of young people in the audience, uh, older people, but young people as well, from high school to just into college. And that episode, when David Allen Greer first starts beating her, the kids laugh. They laughed? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I understand it. I mean, I, I can't remember if this was going on then or not. When did Schindler's List come out? But there was a whole thing for a, 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 a minute about a school, 
I think it was in San Francisco or Oakland or something like that, that had a screening of Schindler's List. And I think there were a lot of black students and they laughed at, at different things. And everybody got upset and black people are, these students are terrible because they're laughing at Jews being killed and so on and so forth. And my take on it was a little bit different and which is why I wanted the scene to stay along and I'll explain it in a second. Well, I'll tell you what happened in the scene and you'll understand. So the scene plays and they laugh, you know, it's like, oh, she get her ass whooped. <laughs> that, right? Yes. But as it goes on, it sinks in. And similar, I think, me to the Schindler list thing is that teenagers, people in general, but especially teenagers and particularly teens who deal with bad shit anyway, your initial reaction to bad things that are too real is yeah. to try to act like you don't care. Yes, you're, you're, protect you. you. Don't, yeah, you're protecting your emotional self. You don't want to feel that pain. And by letting that beating go on, they felt the pain. You could hear it in the audience as it got quieter and quieter and just, yeah. and, and they're like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's too It's like, no, that is the horror in the movie. The yes. monsters are not the horror. This is the horror. And if you don't let people feel the horror, then it's all for naught. So I think it still works. I don't think it works. It's as effective as, you know, and, and some people don't need maybe as much of that, but, you know, it really helps solidify what was going on in that thing. And then by the end of it, and it's the first time I've ever seen it in any screening or movie anywhere. Maybe some other people have had this experience, but at the end of that segment, the audience, after David Allen Greer got twisted into the ground, they were on their feet applauding sure. and cheering. Yeah. yeah. And I've never seen that in the film before. I'm sure it's happened someplace. But it was because of the reality of, of what he was doing felt so honest and real. And then, you know, kind of the comeuppance that he gets at the end. And that was something that I was actually a little concerned about because there were a couple of women that came up to me afterwards that said that they worked for... A, uh, a house that took in um, abused uh, women and children. Mm. I didn't know how <laughs> what their reaction was going to be because I was like, well, you know, did that story work for you? Because you can't kill your monster with a piece of paper. Yeah. Ultimately, you know. Yeah, it's like giving it's, false hope or like, yeah. It's... Yeah, that's, I'm like, is it, was it, is it just kind of too silly and too stupid? And they said, no, it is cathartic. You know, people who have yeah. gone through this will get that out of it. They will be able to process doing this to their monster. Yep. So that was like a really cool moment for me. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of things like the the um, Crazy K segment. I've had, you know, not, not recently, but definitely a few times, uh, more than a few times in the past, had people come up to me and say, I was gang banging and I stopped after I saw it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whoa. So, yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm a big believer that film can, it's usually not that 
obvious of a, of a reaction or a response, but art, literature, movies, TV, all of it, things seep in, the good and bad. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that believe that you shouldn't, you shouldn't know what you may be trying to say when you create something. Uh, there's other people who feel differently for any number of reasons. But I, I think you kind of owe it to yourself to know, at least have an idea of what you think you're putting out there. Yeah. It may be received differently because my first film, Fear of a Black Hat, there's different responses to it. So, I'm curious who you thought the audience was going to be for Tales from the Hood. Because I, don't, I, for one, I've told people how much I like it and they've looked at me and are like, like, I think that they don't see me as the audience being white and being a woman mm. as being the audience for Tales from the Hood. So I was just, I'm just curious who you, you thought was going to be. Um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> quite honestly. I don't know that I put a lot of thought into it. I imagine, I guess it would just be some black folk. <laughs> Probably, more or less, you know, like, yeah, some black people. Whoever went to see, uh, I don't know, what was the Hughes Brothers movie? Whoever went to see that, uh, Minister Society, they'll, maybe they'll show up and, uh, you know, yeah. Those people. Uh, those people. Yeah, Boys in the Hood, those, that group, they'll come. Probably who I imagined it would be. I am surprised at the audience that it has seemed to have picked up. That's kind of surprising. But, you know, what I also know is that the horror community, there's a lot of people that just come to something because they go, well, it's going to be a horror. Movie. Yeah. So I'm going to see what the fuck it is. And, you know. But at the same time, one of the knocks that we get constantly with the Tales from the Hood movies is that are those horror fans that are either uh, very right-wing and conservative and just pissed <laughs> off that they got made, or maybe not that conservative, maybe they are, that are like, we don't need a fucking message, just scare me. And we I'm don't like, need well, a message. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm like, well, there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of horror movies for you if you just want to be scared. You know, why did you even come here? Because <laughs> it says what it is. You know, you know, it, it's there, especially, you know, the, the last one and this one coming up. It's like, it's not an unknown entity. It's, you know what the, you know what you're going to get. So if you got a problem with it, just, you know, fuck it, stay home. Exactly. But I'm curious, I know you're interviewing me, but so, well, you saw it at such a young age. I can't really, I don't know that I can even I was, I think, like six years old when I saw it-ish. Yeah. It was whenever it came out on, on VHS at the Blockbuster. <laughs> remember those? Yes, yes. I, do. <laughs> I do remember the Blockbuster. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, like, I'm pretty certain it was me that had wanted to see it. So I, like, from a young age, have loved, like, Tales from the Crypt and loved, like, anthology series. And I think that's oh, okay. what the draw was, like, oh, it's another anthology series that's horror. Fantastic. Check it out. Right. You know? Yeah. So mom and I watch it. And I think what has stuck with me and why I continuously, like, recommend it to people and why I've seen it over the years as I've gotten older, I just see a lot of comparisons to people I know or to my family's background as well to the stories in, in Tales from the Hood, which I think is an interesting thing. Like, because yeah, I can see why somebody would look at me and be like, I don't think you're the right audience for, for a movie like this, or, you know, how do you relate to some of these topics, you know? 
-hmm. but but i think that but yeah that it's uh i think a lot of people can relate to these topics regardless of whatever background gender race yeah no it i think you're right i mean we need definitely like i said have fans of the movie that sometimes you want to go wow okay cool Cool. yeah i mean it's great we're we're glad to have all 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 folks i do remember though you saying on the phone that when that i just think this is hilarious uh and doesn't surprise me that uh we had talked about filming um y'all were filming where in canada for the third movie Oh, we were Winnipeg. In, uh, yeah, Winnipeg. And that you had made you had made a comment about uh, like one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, part about filming in Canada. That to oh, me yeah, was, was hilarious. Finding, finding black people. The, 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 yeah, the, the, the toughest part of filming there was finding black people to be in these scenes. That's yeah, that, we got some really great locations, <laughs> but yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of black folks in Canada and not a lot of black Winnipegians that have an American black attitude. Yeah. So it was about, we, we found some, but I mean, it, it's tricky because actually we ended up bringing in actors from different parts of Canada. Some of our actors came from the States, of course, but we ended up with some actors from uh, Vancouver, not Vancouver, yeah, Vancouver, Montreal, outside of Toronto. So we had brought people in from different places, but it, it was, we looked at a lot of folks on tape and in person, and it was not easy to find people. Fortunately, we had no huge scenes where we needed a gang yeah. of, of people. So, it, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't easy. But the actors that we did find are really, really bright. That's good. And, <laughs> and how many stories are in in this one? How many episodes? There, there's four with the wraparound. Okay, so there's okay. Four with the wraparound. Yeah. Uh, cool. They're all. Uh, <laughs> they're all good. They're, they're, I mean, I like this one overall better than two, though. In two, I really like the Emmett Till story. Emmett Till story is great. This one, I think, overall plays plays better. I think we learned some lessons on two. And by that, I mean, the first tales was the budget was six something, six million something, which yeah. in today's dollars, uh, and considering that we shot it non-union, one production manager I was talking to said it probably put us into 16 to 18 million dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, and so the the second one, which we shot in Louisiana, was, I don't even know if it was fully $2 million. I don't even think we got that far. Um, and so, you know, we we're trying to figure out how to readjust how the stories that we tell, because we couldn't make them as big as we wanted to. And I think we, in this one, kind of figured out how, you know, hopefully a bit of a sweet spot. The stories, you know, they're not as big as the first tale, which we just can't. Yeah, no, it's understandable. But I do think that the stories are stronger overall than the second one. And um, the look of the film is better, a lot, a lot to do with the locations that we found in uh, Winnipeg. 
attraction. The, the lack of black people, but really good locations that I don't think we, we would have been able to find here for the price that we paid there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And did you ever find out the title of the third movie? <laughs> and then I'll let you go, I swear. <laughs> um, Tales from the... Oh, um, or you can just let me know later. Just message yeah, me. Yeah, I'm gonna let you know. I swear to God, it, it's like it's totally left me. And part of me, I'm not sure if it's even still there, but it was like Tales from the Hood, uh, something, something, something. Oh, something, um, something, something. <laughs> where is it uh, supposed to be based? The third. Um, one? We're hoping that it feels like stories are based in different places so i think one is going to feel like it's in atlanta one might feel like chicago one is someplace in the middle of nebraska or kansas they're all kind of in different places all shot in winnipeg <laughs> go canada yes. go canada oh my god oh. part of it is i have to kind of see maybe maybe we just kept the tales from the three because i don't know that they kept, oh, let me find a script. That'll happen on oh. If I can find a script in my files, if I haven't already pushed all of that off my hard drive, that happens. I don't like I'm done with it. Get out of here. Oh. There is a name. Hang on. So I don't know that this is going to, be in the advertising but on the script it is tales from the hood three the mouths of babes and demons the mouths of babes and demons the mouths of babes and demons okay right see you later rusty all right bye bye, bye. thank you Thanks to Rusty for being on the first episode of Pod of Madness. I'll be back in two weeks, for better or for worse, with Alex Cuervo, the composer of the horror comedy anthology Scare Package. In lieu of birthday gifts, you can like, rate, review, share this episode on all the podcast platforms. Better yet, you can casually mention the show to your friends. Something like, I listened to this really great podcast today. I bet you've never heard of it, because they probably haven't. And in case you forgot, this show, the one that you're listening to, is called Pod of Madness. If you have a suggestion for a guest, want to put a curse on me, send a message to jordan at podofmadness.com or at podofmadness on Twitter. Thanks for listening.